Well, on April 19th of 2016, Target brought the already culturally divisive conversation around gender identity to the forefront when they announced their new bathroom policy that biological males would be allowed to enter and use the women's restroom, biological women allowed to do the same with the men's. This set off a firestorm of responses around our country, all the way from this is just another attack on Christian values, a danger to society, to the other side of high praise and celebration from some people in the LGBT community uh, and people who are fighting for the rights of LGBT people. Now, in one sense, I actually think what Target did was a good thing. And before anyone runs me out with a pitchfork, let me explain, all right? I believe Target brought to the forefront a conversation that the church had been unwilling to have, or at least have very well. We weren't doing a great job with this conversation. It forced us, the church, not element, but the church, to ask questions like, you know, how should we respond to? What do we believe about gender identity, gender dysphoria, and transgender people? And that's the discussion we're having today in this two, uh, second week of a sermon series we're calling Grace and Truth. We're joining the conversation around faith, gender, and sexuality. By the way, if you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis. I am the lead pastor here, and I am so thankful that all of you have chosen to be with us today, including anyone who's joining us on video or online sometime later this week. If you weren't here last week, I highly, highly encourage you to go to our website elementchurch.life, watch or listen to the message. It is the foundation of everything we're talking about in the series and the small group study we are doing. We started off saying, if I believe the right things but respond the wrong way, then what I believe won't matter. That's the foundation of this conversation, which by the way, if you're here and you don't believe what we believe or you don't believe in God at all, I am so glad that you are here. And obviously we'd love for everyone to be on the exact same page with what we believe, but that's not possible. And so we're gonna do our best to love you right where you are, regardless of what you believe or, or how you choose to live your life. I am continuing to ask all of us to embrace the tension that this subject creates and to embrace one another in the tension, especially when we don't agree. I think we will be a testimony to the world if we can love and embrace one another even in our disagreements. In the LGBT conversation, if there's anything that I think uh, most people are confused by, overwhelmed by, sometimes even put off by, it's this conversation around gender. I know it's been very confusing for me. That's why I'm so thankful we have someone on our staff besides me who has done some pretty extensive uh, research and study on the subject. You should be very thankful that that person is our youth pastor because as we continue in this conversation down the road, it's gonna be more and more necessary for our students to be taught on this subject as well. So I'm gonna ask our youth pastor who's gonna help us out today, Brendan Anderson, if he'd join me on the platform. And uh, yep. He does not deserve your applause, but whatever. <laughs> as, uh, Most encouragement I'll have all yeah. day. 
Uh, as, as he's getting set here, no, I, I do appreciate him so much doing this. Um, I just want to re- remind you guys that two weeks from today, we have two special guests that will be joining us, Lori Krieg and Greg Coles. Lori Krieg leads Whole In My Heart Ministries. Uh, she kind of uh, teaches on, helps churches navigate this conversation. And then Greg Coles is an author, communicator, worship leader. He'll be here to help lead us in worship. And uh, they both travel the country, kind of walking churches, organizations, people through this difficult subject. They'll be here also on Monday night, February 25th, for an open forum Q&A from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. Child care is provided for that. It's open to the community, so you can invite anyone, as always, uh, to come to church or to that event. I will join them here uh, on a panel. We'll have an anonymous uh, online question-asking software where you can ask any question you want, and no one will have a clue who asked it, and then they'll do their best to help us answer those questions. So please make that note and be here for that night. I hope we fill this place up and and really continue the conversation. So last week, I challenged all of us to change what we see when it comes to this conversation. It's not an issue. It's not a problem that needs solved. These are people that need to be loved, okay, in this whole conversation. In fact, I would say this. If we ever lose sight of the people we lose. If we ever lose sight of the people, we lose. So Brendan, you've been blessed to meet, have conversations with, talk with some transgender people who are walking through this. And uh, while you can't tell us all of their story or everyone that you have interacted with, why don't you introduce us to a couple of them and then we'll dive in. Yeah. So uh, this is going to be Heather over here. Heather's going to sit next to me today. Um, And Heather grew up like a lot of transgender people not fitting into her gender stereotype. Uh, Her dad thought that this was his fault. So so growing up, Heather would hear things like, you know, what did I do wrong coming from her dad? And so in her mind, her personal expression of of femininity, what it meant to be female was painful for the people around her. And and this really turned into self-hate that escalated all through childhood and through growing up. Uh, When she got into college, she struggled with questions about sexuality, about gender, and not only could no one give her a good answer on these subjects, but the church in general wasn't even a safe place for her to talk about it or to ask those questions. And so she wound up turning to the LGBT community that wound up championing her through these questions. Um, Heather wound up changing her name to Jamie, got hormone therapy, had uh, chest surgery as well. And, and after all this, still felt discontent in her, her gender identity. Um, after a while, she missed church. Uh, she missed the community, wound up uh, getting plugged into a church that was unbelievably hospitable and loving, loving her for who she was. And after a while of attending this church, just felt God calling her to attend a women's conference. Now she is living full-time as a man um, to the point where she actually called the women's conference people that were putting it on and said, hey, I'm trans, I, I'm, I'm living a life as a man. Is, is it okay if I come to your conference? And they said, absolutely, we'll do everything to get you here. Um, So she winds up going to this conference. It's a super cool story. I can't go into all of it, but at this conference, just the Holy Spirit wrecks her heart. Um, She winds up detransitioning from being a female, still attending the same church. So she's gone from from showing up and being a man to now going back to being a female, changed her name back to Heather and is now called to ministry Hmm, and is pursuing that as well. Um, And then over here in this chair, this is Katie. Katie's gonna sit next to Jeff today. Katie was raised in the church. Uh, She was homeschooled, had never even heard the acronym LGBT, didn't know what that meant. But like Heather, she did not fit the traditional gender type. She grew up 
got married, had a kid, and after that, everything just collapsed. For some people, there, there's a timer that goes off, whether it's really young or whether it's after kids. Um, did some research and realized that she was trans. Mm. Uh, she came out to her husband, who did not take it well at all, who then outed her to her pastor, to her church and to her family. Her pastor and church wound up disowning her from there. They said, if, if you're gonna choose this destruction and chaos, we don't want you here. Um, so she wound up leaving the church, did transition, is now living a life as a man and, and still trying to maintain her relationship with mm. God. So, so he sees being trans as living out the best he can, the best part of himself as he can for God. So that's two opposite stories, right? Two different conclusions, but I, I, I'm glad they're different because it helps us remember this is about people and every person is unique. And we need every conversation we have around this discussion or with anybody, let us not forget the very personal stories behind every person that we interact with. So you, you mentioned the LGBT acrostic. One of the things I've struggled with in navigating this conversation uh, over the last couple of years are the terms that we use, specifically the gender terms that we'll get into. But let's start with that LGBT plus acrostic in case somebody's not aware of what these things stand for and, and, we'll, and we'll go from there. So we're gonna paint with really broad strokes today, but for the most part, LGB, lesbian, gay, bisexual, is talking about who I'm attracted to, okay? When you get to T, it's a different subject entirely. They're not talking about who I'm attracted to. Some of them may identify as gay, lesbian, or bisexual. But when it comes to transgender, they are talking about who I am. And so less about who I'm attracted to. It's not, it's not the primary point of it. It's, it's who I am, who I identify as. So we're about to have word vomit on you guys. Just prepare yourself, okay? <laughs> This is a very 30,000 foot view of a very, very deep and complex subject, right? Like we, we are not solving this in, in 35 minutes. So we're about to go through some terms as it relates specifically to the gender identity discussion. And I just want, so most of you have problems with some of these terms. I want us all to understand, we can argue all we want about the correct use of terms. As long as you understand, these are the terms that are being used in culture at large. And we need to understand them so that we can join the conversation. So Brendan, help us out with some of these terms as it relates specifically to gender identity. Yep, so we're, we're gonna go through all these really quickly. We're flying through these. The first one I wanna talk about is sex versus gender. For a lot of us, we have grown up and it's been the exact same thing. Like your sex is your gender and vice versa. They were interchangeable. That's not true anymore. So when it comes to sex, sex is the physical and biological dimensions of being male or female. So biological, anatomical, this is what most of us would, would understand as being the sex. When it comes to gender, it has been changing over the last decade, possibly even two decades. So gender is the psychological, social, and cultural aspects of being male or female. There's a couple of things underneath gender that we're gonna talk about. Gender identity or experience is who you identify and experience life as. So gender identity, who you identify as. Gender expression, which is how you express being male or female, whether it's through your hair, clothes, mannerisms, interests, what, what it means to you to be male or female, gender expression. And then there's gender role, which is how you relate and adopt to the cultural expectations because it's different for every culture all around the world, but how you relate to that in terms of maleness and femaleness. So the role you play in society is your gender role. Then we get to transgender, which refers to the broad spectrum. It's a very big umbrella that hosts a lot of people inside of it. 
the uh, broad spectrum of individuals who experience or express their gender in ways that are incongruent with their biological sex. So the sex being a male, but experiences life as a female that would fall under transgender. Once you get to transsexual, this is referring to someone pursuing same uh, sex reassignment surgery, which nowadays is not called sex reassignment surgery, it's gender confirmation surgery. So that's what the medical field is moving to, or HT stands for hormone therapy. However, for transsexual, it's kind of like the word homosexual. Yes, it's correct, but it is outdated, it is impersonal, and for a lot of people, it carries a lot of pain and a lot of trauma. It has not been used in a positive way. It's been used as a weapon for most people. And not a lot of people go through with gender confirmation or sex reassignment surgery. How many? Right, 3% of transgender people actually pursue changing their sex. It's not very lot at all. So it's just better to use transgender and to hear the personal stories of people versus trying to give them these labels. couple of the last two that I want to talk to you guys about, gender dysphoria. So according to the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, okay, this is put out by the American Psychiatric Association, gender dysphoria involves a conflict between a person's physical or assigned gender and the gender with which he, she, or they identify, which can lead to significant, oftentimes debilitating distress. So once it gets to that debilitating distress to where their life is being impacted because of this incongruence, that's when psychologists, therapists actually come to this diagnosis of gender dysphoria. Same thing, we need to understand not everyone who is transgender has gender dysphoria. Mm. Not everyone who has gender dysphoria is seeking sex reassignment surgery or gender confirmation surgery. All of it is unique and different. Uh, The last term is cisgender, and this is what most of you in here are, is cisgender, and understand what it is. It describes individuals whose gender identity or expression aligns with their biological birth, or or biological sex assigned to them at birth, all right? So you were born a male and you experienced life as a male, you're cisgender, and the same goes for females as well. So that's like 30,000 foot view, kind of this conversation, terms that are used, it does not do justice to the subject itself but you need to have a kind of a baseline understanding, okay? So how many people actually identify as transgender? Yeah, so the the most recent research we have is from 2016. That's the most recent surveys that they've done. According to that survey, people who are transgender is about 0.6% of the population in the United States. It's approximately 1.4 million people. In the state of Wyoming, we're actually the 47th lowest state in terms of transgender population. It's about 1,400 people who identify as transgender in Wyoming. So I know those statistics cause some people to say, well, why is it such a big deal? 0.6% of the population, and we're making this huge deal about it, doing a whole sermon on it in church, you know, in politics, it's just running rampant. What is the big deal. Why does this matter? Well, first of all, 1.4 million people is a lot of stinking people. <laughs> 1,400 people in our state. Okay, it, it, It's people, first of all. But there are some statistics specifically around the younger generation that to me signify why this matters so much. So Brennan, share, share what you found on, on that. So 37% of Generation Z, that's the youngest generation right now in the world. It's, it's ages three to 23 years old says their gender and sexuality is very important to them. Um, So I wanted to take it, just make it a little more personal for us. Here at Element Church, Generation Z, which which composes our student ministry, 
That's 180 students that are currently attending our church say that this is very important to them. 70% of Generation Z says it's ex- believes it's acceptable to be born one gender and to identify as another. And so for us here at Element, that's 340 students currently attending our student ministry that would say it's, it's fine to be a, a male and then identify as a female. It's a lot of people. 70% of your kids and grandkids and our students in this church, according to those statistics, believe it's okay to be born one gender, but live out another. That's why we have to address this as a church, as a youth ministry, as parents in the room. Like this is a big, big deal. And if we don't address it, we will lose a generation as far as at least trying to teach them what we believe, whether they end up believing that or not, we will have lost uh, that generation. But there's one more statistic that if, if this doesn't break your heart, I'm not sure you have a heartbeat, okay? This is the reason why this matters. 41% of people who identify as transgender have attempted suicide. And that's compared to 1.7% of the general Not thought about, attempted. 41% of transgender people have attempted to take their own life. That's why this matters. Because we have students perhaps that have contemplated taking their own life, that maybe not tried yet, but if we can come alongside them as they're navigating this very difficult conversation, we can perhaps save lives by simply joining the conversation. So I think the church and society as a whole has not done a great job talking about gender specifically. You know, how, how, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. I think the church has really done, I've, in my own ministry, I've done a poor job with this. Like, like we've kind of put, we pigeonholed men as this is what a man is and this is what a woman is. But I think when you look at scripture, you know, being a man is not is not only you know, grunts, guns, and sporting events. And, and being a woman is not only flowers, baby dolls, and going to the bathroom together, or whatever y'all do, I don't know. <laughs> yes, there are some generalities, some similarities, some general characteristics of, of men and women, but we've kind of pigeonholed the genders so much so that there might be a young person who says, I, I don't like any of the stuff they're saying a man is. Maybe I'm not a man or, or, or a, a young girl, a young woman saying, I don't like any of the stuff they're saying a woman is, so maybe I'm not a woman. So we've not helped the conversation. So, so Brendan, why don't you walk us through some actual biblical characters and stories that maybe give us a different perspective on gender expression itself. Yeah, yeah. So like Jeff said, like a, a lot of what we deem as masculine and feminine is not found in scripture. It has been molded, influenced, and dictated to us by culture. And, and we've simply adopted and accepted it in the church. So we have to understand this is why it's important that a lot of what people with gender identity questions struggle with are the rigid gender roles. Almost every person I talk to says, well, I just didn't fit into, there was no space for me in the church to express who I was as a woman, as a man, whatever that looks like. So we have just allowed culture to reinforce what is not true instead of letting scripture breathe hope into those that don't fit the norm. Um, So the first one we're going to look at is specifically for the men in the room. All of us have heard this story at some point in our lives, I'm sure, but, but we'll look at King David 
And specifically, 1 Samuel 17 is, is the uh, story of David and Goliath, right? And when we think of men, like this is, some of us, this is what we wanna go to. Like David is going off to war. Yep. He, he is prepared to fight his battle against the giant. He's taking his slingshot. It causes, he only needs one stone because he's a man and that's what he <laughs> needs to be a man. I got my one stone. He, he, he kills Goliath, runs over, cuts off his head, stakes it on top of his sword. Like everyone shouts out, like this is what it means to be a man, right? And I don't want to interrupt. I do want to interrupt you, but I'm not trying to. That is every men's conference I've ever been to in my life. <laughs> yeah, freedom, right? It's, it's all about war and violence and we're going to take out the enemy and cut off his head, right? That's every men's conference I've ever been to in my life. And yet there's another side to David. That's not just a warrior. So go continue. This is on. also why I've never been to a men's conference. <laughs> uh, Later in scripture, about halfway through the Bible, we find the poetic side of David, and that's in the Psalms. Over half the Psalms are attributed to David, and it is poetry. It is, is crying out. It is, uh, it's beautiful, and it's wisdom, and it's all of these things that are, are, that are not just the grunts, and groans, the grunts and groans of a warrior. It is a man that's in desperate need of his God. Uh, in 2 Samuel 6, we see uh, David dance before the Lord with all his might. And I can only imagine what kind of dance he would have to be doing for like the author of scripture to be like, no, he wasn't just dancing. He was dancing <laughs> before the Lord yeah. with all his might. And it was to bring honor and glory and worship to the Lord. This wasn't something to look down on him as a man. This was a way for him to express glory and honor to God. Yeah. In, in Exodus chapter he, 30. He, he, oh. so hold on. He, he was an emotional poet, artist, harpist who wrote music and happened to be a warrior. We forget that side of David and any man who's like that, we wonder what's wrong with them. That's a problem, okay? So go ahead. Oh yeah. Exodus 31, uh, we're gonna read verses one through three. It says this, that then the Lord said to Moses, look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Ur of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. Next men's conference, craft time. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> if we continued on in that story, it would talk about how he was skilled in jewelry, in, in gold, in bronze, in working with silver. He was actually tasked by God. This was his calling in life was to sew the clothes of the priests that would yeah. then they would wear. So, yeah. so he was a seamster yeah. and this was his way of living out God's calling in his life. Uh, so there's, there's some differences for the men in the room. Let's go to the females though. Judges four talks about a woman named Deborah who was judge over Israel. And in, in Judges four, we need to ask the question when talking about femininity, was Deborah being feminine when she led Israel to war yeah. in order to free them from their oppressors? And later on in Judges four, Judges four is the scariest book in the Bible, by the <laughs> way, that's chapter right there. Is JL embodying what it means to be a woman when she drives a tent peg through Sisera's head? <laughs> like if you have not read, read Judges, Judges 4, 4 it's awesome. yeah, yeah, as a woman, like the, the empowerment that is seen in that yeah. chapter of scripture. 
Proverbs 31, when we talk about what a men's conference is, a, a woman's conference typically talks about the Proverbs 31 woman, which goes through a bunch of different like uh, characteristics and describing what, what a godly woman looks like. And people often point to that as, as the wife that they want, as the woman they wanna be or, or whatever that looks like. But verses 15 through 16 in Proverbs 31 says this, that she gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plan the day's work for her servant goals. And some of the men are like, yeah, that's the kind of woman I want. <laughs> but verse 16 continues, she goes to inspect a field and buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. And so when is she displaying her femininity? Is it when she's waking up early to, to cook breakfast to be in the kitchen or is it in her entrepreneurship? Yeah. Is it in making wise financial decisions? Is it for planning for the future and planting a vineyard? And so what scripture does is it celebrates the difference in gender, right? It celebrates the difference between male and female while giving us a plethora of ways yeah. to express our gender. Yeah. And we should be doing the same thing in the church. Yep, it's good. That's a challenge to the church, I think, that we, we celebrate all, all different ways of being a man or being a woman. We kind of get out of the pigeonhole. So we talked about terms, why that's important, how the church should... Maybe culture has not done a great job at talking about gender expression, but we would be poor leaders as pastors if we didn't also address what we believe. And so we're gonna, gonna, we're gonna get into that a little bit here. Remember, if I believe the right things but respond the wrong way, then what I believe won't, won't matter. I'm gonna remind us of what we believe kind of in broad strokes uh, around this whole LGBT conversation. I got into this in detail last week. Please watch that if you have not yet. There's basically three sides to this conversation inside the church in Christianity. The first side is what's called side A, which basically defined is affirming. So side A, people affirm. They believe God affirms same-sex romantic relationships or same-sex marriage, that the only answer for the church to gay people is to affirm gay marriage. The other side would be side X. Side X defined by being ex-gay or that they would say the only option for a gay person is to actually change their orientation, to become straight. So... I feel called not to either side A or side X, but I believe where God wants us to be is what's called side B. So side B kind of tries to live in the messy middle, if you will. And it's trying to be full of grace and truth saying, we want to be accepting of all people, regardless of what they believe or how they live, but also non-affirming. So accepting, but non-affirming, meaning we would not affirm same-sex marriage same-sex sex or romantic relationships. The actual statement of our uh, theology would be the historic Christian sexual ethic, which simply means this, marriage is intended for two sexually different people, man and a woman, and sex is intended for and only blessed in that union. That is the side B historic Christian sexual ethic. There are many, by the way, many gay people as well to hold that hold to and live this theology. I told you last week, the, the two guests we have coming, Lori Krieg, who's coming here, she is a same-sex attracted person. So she's attracted to women, but she met, fell in love with, and married a straight man. They have two kids with one on, on the way. She'll be five months pregnant when she's here. So she, she's living what's called a mixed orientation marriage, but she believes in teaches and pursues the historic Christian sexual ethic. Greg Coles, we have a book of his out in the store. It's amazing, called Single Gay Christian. He's attracted to men. 
but he believes in, teaches, and pursues the historic Christian sexual ethic as a single celibate gay man. He's committed to that for his life, pursuing Jesus alone for the intimacy that he needs in his life. So I, again, I want us to kind of eradicate that thinking of, of gay has to mean action. It doesn't. There's many people that are not pursuing that as a part of their life. But that doesn't really address the gender part of this. So how does the historic Christian sexual ethic relate to the gender conversation? Yeah, so we're going to read uh, two verses in Scripture. Genesis 1, verse 27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then Matthew 19, verse 4, this is Jesus speaking to a group. He says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female? So whenever humans are classified according to sex in scripture, male and female are the only two categories. Yeah. Yep, yep. So, so just like I said last week, our, our belief about sexuality can be received or felt as hurtful or hateful to a gay person. And I, I get it. It breaks my heart, but I get it. In the same way, our belief about gender can be received or felt as hurtful or hateful by someone who is, is transgender or going through that gender dysphoria. But even though it can be received that way, I, I think we need to know what, what we believe. And again, not every person who calls Element Home is gonna believe this, but this is, Brendan, what do we, would you say we believe, if you're gonna put it into a statement, yep. what would we believe so about So it'll gender? be up on the screens as well, but, but we believe that human beings are purposefully born male or female. And there are no compelling Christian ethical or moral arguments that allows for a believer to transition. However, all right, this is, this is my tag on. And by transition, you mean go, they were born male, but now they're going to live transition as a, to female, a female, actually transition to female. Correct, yeah. correct. So this still does not negate the real feelings that people with gender incongruence right. feel. Yeah. Like we, we need to understand and we need to have a sensitive, compassionate, loving, and life-giving response to those who do not fit into the cisgender experience mm. because it is painful yeah. and it is personal and it is very real. So you, you said the word response. Yeah. So this is gonna be difficult for a lot of us in the room. So brace yourself, okay? <laughs> Remember, but the person first. Got to change what we see, challenge what we show, and then choose what to stand on is the last part of the process. We want to lead with love and grace, and that's what Jesus did. He always led with love, and the law always came, came last. But I believe there is a better way for us to re actually respond to transgender people. I'm not saying that you have to do this. I've wrestled with this one myself, and I'm growing in it, but I do think it's a better way for us to help people navigate this, okay? So get ready, because you're gonna be, some of you will be angry. Go ahead. Be angry <laughs> with Jeff, not me. No, be angry at Pastor Andy. <laughs> Just like us, that'd be awesome. So uh, here's what I would suggest and encourage. I am a proponent of what's called the PACE approach, all right? There's two, uh, there's two ways to go about it that we're currently seeing in culture at large. There's the rapid affirm, which is most of the secular world would be when somebody comes out as trans to, to immediately change everything for them in their yeah. lives. So their, their name, uh, referring them to a trans clinic, uh, doing hormone therapy, talking about uh, the surgeries that can happen in the future or, or right now, depending on when they experience this. That would be the rapid affirm approach. I am more so to the pace approach, meaning 
helping people with their gender struggles and what they're going through and alleviating the distress that they feel through the least invasive means possible, all right? Uh, surgery and, and hormones being the most invasive, the things that can be life-changing long-term, but, but figuring out a way to help them alleviate that without having to, to go to those means, all right? The easiest thing that you can do, and this is everyone, Jeff says you don't have to. I, I can say you have to because I'm not in charge here. Um, highly, highly encouraged, and this is, I'll give you reasons why. The easiest thing you can do to help people who struggle with gender issues is to use their preferred name and pronoun, whatever that is. I, I don't care how they were born. I don't care what you have known them as their entire lives. Just use what they do. And the reason is for this. Referring to a teen by their preferred name and pronoun can lower the risk of suicide by up to 50%. However, it does not increase their persistence, meaning you calling them a boy or you calling them a girl or using whatever name they want is not solidifying yeah. how they already feel. What it's doing is it is increasing their safety and it is showing that you care. Mm. It's, it's giving them their humanity back saying, I understand that you're feeling this way. Not, not everyone's gonna be okay doing that, and I get it. Sure. And I've not been there myself until recently, but the more and more stories I hear, and then seeing 40% of transgender people attempt suicide, and by simply using the preferred name or pronoun of specifically a teenager could possibly keep them from taking their own life. I'm willing to do that not to confirm what they're feeling or to confirm that they should transition, but to save a life. I'm willing to do it. And it's, it's difficult and it's gonna be difficult for a lot of people, but uh, we've got to walk alongside these people as they're dealing with these very, very real struggles in, in their own life. And, and you're gonna share one more, right? Yeah, and along with that, you when it comes to people you don't know or don't particularly experience with, you have no idea what the parents of those, yeah. those kids, those teens are going through. You don't know what they're doing to keep their kid alive, what they are expressing, any of that kind of stuff. When it comes to self-harm in terms of transgender people, the, the statistics are alarming. Yeah. Yeah. And so as a Christian, what we are doing is we are walking with, listening to, asking honoring questions, laying down our own comforts, what we can do, and increasing their safety no matter what. Yeah. Every trans person that I have met and talked to when I asked them, hey, how, how would, do you wish the church would have responded to you? Every single one of them had said, I just wish somebody would have listened to me, mm. that somebody would have sat and talked with me and been okay with the tension. Mm. They didn't need to be affirmed. They didn't need to like, they didn't need you to believe what they believe. They just needed their humanity back. Yeah. Yeah. They needed to know that it was okay what they were feeling. So if I prove that I'm radically loving and safe on the path toward transition, then at any point, if somebody were to have their, their uh, persistence decrease, their inclination decrease, they are more willing to share it with somebody who has already deemed themselves safe. Yeah. Meaning you might push away the person that wants to tell you, hey, maybe I, I don't want to transition. Maybe I don't want to do this. Yeah. Anywhere from 40 to 70% of young people who experience gender dysphoria or, or gender identity struggles will outgrow that, but not until they are 18 to 25. So if you show that you are safe to the 12 year old, maybe they will find you safe when they're 22 yeah. and all of a sudden come to another realization. Yeah. And at the same point, if you shove away and, and show that you are unsafe to a 14 year old, why would they ever come back to you when they want to be, to, to, 
to talk about what they're going yeah. through. Yep. And it, also, if you don't know how they want to be referred to, just ask them. It's incredibly honoring to ask someone, how do you want me to refer to you? That in itself is an honoring question. So we, we literally just threw up on you for a little over 30 minutes. And it's a lot to take in. I can see heads spinning. So I want to bring it back to that people aspect. And I want to show you a story on video of a woman named Leslie and her story of struggling with her gender and sexuality and how the church has responded to her. It's an amazing story. Uh, so go ahead and check it out. Growing up with gender identity questions in the mid-80s, early 90s, was a very frustrating time. Transgenderism wasn't out there, so it was having this horrible feeling that something was wrong, that I didn't feel like I fit in my skin. I became suicidal, and, you know, God finally just kind of laid, laid out for me that I was going to be okay somehow, and I went to my pastor, and I, with this confidence that I felt God had given me, I went to my pastor, and I said, look, this is something I'm battling. I don't know what to do with it, and I was escorted out of the church and um, invited to never come back, and I didn't for 18 years. I didn't set foot in a church. I went on to college, and was in the Baptist Student Union there. Um, they knew nothing about what had happened back at home, and I was on the executive council. I had gone to summer missions in a prison, and while I was there in summer missions, started dating one of the, uh, one of the prison guards, and uh, I would preach on Sunday morning and then go home to her, and I felt like this horrific hypocrite, and I didn't really know what to do, so I, I completely left the church. I, I left everything behind in my faith and started in theater where being gay was completely accepted and I met my wife and she was unlike anyone I'd ever met before. We dated for two years and were married for six. Um, she had a fatal disease and uh, we ended up having to pull the plug and I called this church and spoke to the pastor. I will never forget his words. I asked him if he would consider doing Sue's funeral you know, I said, we're, we're lesbians. You know, I know you're a church. I know you're in Northampton, but would you do this for us? And I will never forget these, these words. He said, I would be honored to. What brought me back to the church um, was, oddly enough, the church, the, the people of the church being what Christ designed the church to be. They would just treat me like a normal human being, which is not something I had really experienced in the church prior to that. Leslie now lives her life uh, as a side B Christian, historic Christian sexual ethics. She lives as a single uh, woman pursuing the Lord, and her life is now given to helping young people navigate this when it comes up in their life, this gender identity confusion and struggle in their life. She's an amazing woman, and the Lord has redeemed her and her story, and, um, and it was the church that loved her that brought her back. That's why when you got to do that with people, all right? So Brandon, real quickly, because we're already out of time, but there's a couple of books that you want to recommend. They're out in the store. Yep. 
So all three of these are out in the store. Uh, the first one is Fully Alive by Dr. Larry Crabb. Um, it is not necessarily about transgenderism, but it is a biblical expression of gender. So what it means to be male, what it means to be female. There's Understanding Gender Dysphoria by Dr. Mark Yarhouse. I do not recommend this unless you are super passionate about uh, transgender people in this conversation. It's very in-depth, very scientific and, and uh all of that. And then there's uh, Talking Points on Transgender by Vaughn Roberts. And this is, if you just want a foundation, this is a great book. It's a very easy read, but it gives you a lot of information that's really good for anyone that just wants to, to be more knowledgeable about this. Okay. I hope that was helpful. This is the best way we knew how to do this. It is such a massive subject that we did not do justice to, but hopefully it gives you kind of a head start on getting down the road. If you would stop by the volunteer table out in the lobby before uh, you leave today, if you're not currently volunteering, that would be incredible. We'd love to get you plugged in because it does matter what you do. Let me pray for you. And then got two closing remarks. We'll let you go. God, you are so good. We thank you, Lord, that you uh, give us your light of truth in scripture. Lord, help us not only to live it out, but to love people regardless of what they believe or how they choose to live. Lord, we want to be a loving, welcoming place for all people. We love you, God, and give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hey, if you're new here, stop by the living room on the way out. If you need prayer for something, stop by the purple tent all the way back in the back of the auditorium. we got a prayer team that will pray for whatever you got. Love you guys so much. We'll see you next week. You're dismissed.